All right, I'm going to dive into this tonight. Y'all ready? All right, I'm dealing with the healing series, but I'm getting a little... This is definitely about healing, but I'm going to kind of sidetrack just a little bit and deal with some spiritual warfare. But let me tell you this, the way that Satan attacks people. Please hear me. We are in a spiritual battle. We're not in heaven yet. People think that we're going to live in some kind of little bubble. No, it's not going to happen, okay? While we're here, we're dropped behind enemy lines. So I want you to picture for a second that you were drafted into the military. And they, they picked us all up into this helicopter. We're, we're set in armor. We're ready to go. You know, we got everything we need. we got our weaponry. And they, they fly us over enemy lines. And they drop us in there. Bullets are flying. And now we're surrounded by the enemy. Welcome to true Christianity. <laughs> Of course, if you're lukewarm and dead, no threat to the devil, you may not experience that. But those that are going after God, welcome to true Christianity. But this is this is a spiritual battle while we're here. And I've dealt with some issues because I'm dealing with the healing ministry. And I'm dealing with faith. All of us need to grow in our faith. Amen? I'm believing in a year from now, my faith will be at a whole other level. And I mean that sincerely. I believe, I'm believing God that in a year from now, there will be a greater anointing. That my prayer life will be more powerful. That, that I'll be at a greater level of humility. That the love of Christ would be more perfected in my life. Um, you know, that I'll know the Lord more intimately. There's a lot of things I'm believing for to continue to increase in my life. And one of them is faith. I want to be at another level of faith. So I've dealt with the issues in the healing ministry. Number one, of having a personal prayer life. And how do you develop faith? Remember, I gave everybody the sheet. And as you go over that and you and you speak the Word of God over your life and you meditate on the Word of God, it's getting down in you. It's producing faith in you. Okay? So I'm basically helping everybody here and myself included to increase our faith. I've dealt with that already. I talked to you about the power of speaking God's Word over your life. And I also talked to you about the importance of diagnosing the problem. If you're praying and you're not getting a breakthrough, you do not. Or start changing the Bible to fit your circumstance and get some weird, creepy doctrine that makes God look bad. You don't do that. And you don't get offended and bitter with God because God's not the problem. So what you do is you begin to seek God, what is the problem? Show me what is blocking this answer to prayer and He'll show you. If you'll pray and fast and really seek Him, He'll show you. That's another thing I dealt with. But now tonight I want to deal with spiritual warfare. When you're coming under spiritual warfare individually and as a church, because churches as a whole can come under major spiritual warfare, where principalities and powers will target a church, and that has happened, and it, it's, it's serious, and you don't need to take it lightly. Okay, don't overestimate the devil, but don't underestimate him either. You need to have a healthy respect for the warfare. Okay, all right. But when the enemy comes and there's spiritual warfare, the way the enemy will attack many times, he'll come against people's health. That's why sometimes there's a stubborn issue there. Because it's actually spiritual. And the enemy's trying to resist. Alright, if you want to go deeper in understanding inner healing, deliverance, and warfare and things like that, I have a series called Seductions of Satan. You can look that series up on our website and go through that. I'm not going to get that deep with it. But let me tell you some things. This, What I'm going to talk about with witchcraft in the church is a huge issue in our area. 
Now, my wife and I went to see, there was a pastor that was, he's in the Gulf Coast and he's starting to see a move of God. Now, how many, how many of you guys would like to see this? Jesus came in this man's church. He saw him. What happened was, he was up at the podium and he had been preparing his church to see a move of God. Okay, and he was standing there, and all of a sudden he saw this. He said he doesn't think other people did, but he saw Jesus come in the back of his church. And Jesus was holding a banner, like a flag. He was holding a banner, and his other hand was all fire, like a torch. So it looked like Jesus was holding a torch, but really his whole hand was fire. And he said that Jesus walked toward him, and he said this holy fear of God came on him. He thought, I'm going to die today. I'm going to be with Jesus, but it's over. My life is over now. And he had this holy fear of God. And let me tell you about some of the weird stuff out there. And people, people that have a good background understand what I'm talking about. But he, he said this. He said these words. He said, when I saw Jesus, the last thing on my mind was going up and slapping him on the back, giving him a high five, you know, giving him some knuckles. He, these were his words. He said, that's the last thing I thought of. He thought, woe is me. I'm a dead man. <laughs> you know. But at the same time, he knew the Lord loved him. Anyway, Jesus comes up to him and had that hand that was on fire, he just put it on his face and it was like cleansing. I'm assuming with the face, you're looking at the your thoughts, what your eyes look at, the words of your mouth, and maybe what your ears hear. But there's that area, he said it was like a cleansing, it was like a washing. He fell out under the power. And you know it's a move of God when this happens, especially in America. It was probably around 11 o'clock, 11.30. And he said that he, he was under the power of God laying there for hours. And he comes to, and his wife sitting beside him. And the people were all just sitting there in the church. It was like 2.30 in the afternoon. Nobody had moved. It was just a holy, hallowed presence of God. But this, this issue of witchcraft in the church is serious in our region. And I believe in God for a move of God. Amen. Now, whenever we were at this meeting and this pastor's telling us about Jesus came in his church and touched him with fire, we, we at first we had some brisket. So we were all sitting around eating, as, as good pastors do, you know, and, and we're sitting there talking. And there was a woman sitting across from me, and we she was asking us about our church, and I began to talk to her about this region. And she said she lived in the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex for many, many years, for decades. And she said that back in the 90s, they, they were a part of bringing like the Arnots and people from Toronto to Dallas. And so I asked her this question because I felt that she had been in this thing a long time. And I said, what do you think is the greatest hindrance to revival in our region? And she said, that's easy. She said, the division. She said, leaders have been divided. And she said, all these church splits. That's her exact words, wasn't it? And I told her, I said, I completely... 100% am in agreement with that. That's exactly right. It's all the division. Satan knows the Bible says that a kingdom divided can't stand. And when you look at the book of Acts and you see chapter 2 and it's talking about the day of Pentecost, it says they were all in one accord. They were in unity. And when they came together in prayer, I'm sure they were fasting and they were standing on the promise of God because Jesus told them, I'm going to send the promise of my Father. They were praying, they were believing God for revival, so to speak, if I could say it that way. And they were in unity and when they came together in one accord, and the Bible makes it a point to mention that. They were in one accord, revival broke out. The Spirit of God came in like, a, like an explosion and a major move of God. And Psalm 133 says, as the brethren come together in unity the oil will flow. 
So that's the key. Satan wants to keep it divided. And I've made up my mind a long time ago. I tried everything within my power to, to try to unify the body of Christ in this area as much as I could with prayer and with evangelism and to no avail at one time. Now, it's gotten a little better. But I made up my mind that even if others aren't going to do it, I'm still going to keep doing it. I'm not going to get discouraged. We're going to make God's house a house of prayer. We're going to keep praying. We're going to keep evangelizing even if we have to do it. There were times we just had a handful of people, two or three people. But it was like we're going to still go out now. We have a decent group going out all the time. But, but at the same time, I'm going to say this. My heart is still to do everything I can to unify and to be a part of unity. I don't want to be a part of the problem. I want to be a part of the solution. You hear what I'm saying? So do what you got to do. And that's the reason why I've been going to some of these meetings. You know, yeah, of course to receive from God. But whenever my wife and I went to this meeting, I told her, and she'll tell you, I was like, we're going to go in here and be the friendliest people here. We're going to talk to everybody. We're going to do everything we can to promote unity. Because these are a bunch of leaders. We were in there hugging people, talking to people, shaking hands, meeting people, doing everything within my power to help unify God's people. Everything that I can do in my limited ability, you know. But I don't want to be a part of the problem. I don't want to go in there and be critical and over here going, well, look at this person. Look at the way this person worships. That's a part of the problem. That's a part of the problem, not a part of the solution. You go in there and just love everybody, okay? And do everything you can to develop relationships. You know, some, some preachers have been so burned so many times that it's really hard for them to to unify because they're afraid. Because they've actually been betrayed and burned by people that they tried to unify with in the past. And there's there's some pastors out there that's got some really bad stories about that. But we've got to forgive, let God heal us, learn from it, and go on. Amen? All of us have those stories. It's been in the ministry very long. But this will be a huge issue in these last days. If you have a ministry that has the spirit of Elijah on you, trust me, you're going to face this. Everybody says, I want an anointing. I want the fire of God on me. I want to be clothed with power. Don't we all? But there's also, when you do, and the spirit of Elijah comes upon you, you know what you're going to face. Okay? It's in front of you. I promise you. You're not going to get around it. You'll have to learn how to go through it. You can't get around it. But you can learn how to come through it victorious. And I I have felt that there would be a possible attack on the horizon. But let me say this. All attacks can be canceled and neutralized through prayer and by handling it scripturally and by warning people to be ready. Okay? We must break through the warfare and enter all the fullness of what the Bible promises us. So let me talk to you about witchcraft in the church. Let me talk to you about what it is. <clears throat> you guys, when I talk about witchcraft, I know what some of you are thinking. You're picturing the little old lady. She's like hunchback, right? She's over a cauldron and she's got a big stick. She's got a big warded nose, you know, pointy hat. But witchcraft, as far as the Bible is concerned, is not necessarily that. I mean, that's definitely a part of it if somebody's that like that. But the power, listen to what witchcraft really is scripturally. Witchcraft is this. It is the power cur- current of Satan's kingdom. The power current. Okay, I'm going to give you like Pastor Scott's Webster's uh, definition, if you will. Okay, this is, this is, you know how they have one, two, three? I'm about to give them to you. This is Pastor Scott's definition based on the Bible of what witchcraft is. Number one, it's the power current. And let me explain that. In this building... 
There is a transformer and there is an electric company somewhere that is supplying power that's going through the walls of this place, through the wiring, and is lighting up everything and making everything work. The power current in this whole building is electricity. We don't use propane. We don't use gasoline generators. Everything in here is electricity. That's the power current that we're using. And it's flowing through this whole place. The power current of Satan's kingdom is witchcraft. It is an actual power, and it is like electricity. It's a current that flows throughout his whole kingdom. And how many knows in the church, it's not supposed to be flowing in Christian churches anyway. It's not supposed to be. That doesn't mean that it hasn't trickled in some. Okay? But that's the power current. And that's why when, when you feel like an evil, if I could say it this way, an evil anointing on a person or a place or a thing, they actually are clothed with satanic power and they have that witchcraft power about them. It's just like the, the kingdom of God here in the kingdom of light with Jesus, we're clothed with the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person, but nonetheless, He supplies the power current that flows through the whole kingdom of God. You know, there's people in the kingdom of God that love Jesus in Africa, Mexico, that, that are all throughout Central and South America and other parts of the world, Asia, and they have the same power current of the Holy Spirit that we do here tonight. It's the current of power the Holy Spirit gives us. And in the Greek, it's dunamis. Okay? It's explosive. But Satan has a power current that fills his whole kingdom all over the world. And it's like these spirits that serve the devil, these fallen angels and things, they're clothed with that witchcraft power current. It's like an evil anointing. And they have a power about them. And so does Satan's servants. But it's the counterfeit. And let me say this too. Satan's current of power is nothing, nothing compared to the power of God. And just put it in perspective because a lot of people want to picture um, Jesus and the devil and it's like a fair fight. Man, it's not like that. I want you to picture God being this huge mammoth giant and Satan, who's the most powerful in his whole kingdom, is the mosquito that's getting on his nerves. Okay? It's not like a fair fight. There's God, then there's the mosquito. Okay? So that's how I want you to picture this thing. And so when you're dealing, that's why the Bible says, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world because you have the, the Holy Spirit as a power current living in you and clothing you with power. So when we pray tonight and we're, we're asking the Lord to fill you, it is the power and the glory of the Holy Spirit that's coming into your life. It's the kingdom power current. The power current of the Holy Spirit is what brings healing to the sick. It's what helps to drive out the demonic. And that's what Jesus did. Everything Jesus did, he did under the anointing. That's why when he was driving out demons, somebody said, you're doing that by the power of Satan. And Jesus said, that doesn't even make any sense if I can paraphrase Jesus. Is that all right? He said, that doesn't even make any sense. If Satan drives out Satan, a kingdom divided can't stand. He said, I'm not doing this by the power of the devil. Jesus said, I'm not demon possessed. He said, I'm doing this by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he said, if the Spirit of God is here, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Alright, so number one, witchcraft is the power current of Satan's kingdom. It's what, like, uh, the, electric, the electricity that lights up the devil's kingdom, if you will, that empowers his whole kingdom all over the world. 
Also, number two, the second definition of witchcraft in the Bible, it is usurped and it is illegitimate authority not authorized by the Lord. In other words, it's people that have been given positions of authority that Jesus Christ did not authorize it. Did y'all catch that? It is people that are in authority positions that should not be there. That's why the Bible says that you don't put a novice in positions of authority. The Bible says to know those that labor among you. You don't just throw around authority positions, but a lot of ministries do, and it's very dangerous. Very dangerous. You do not just give just anybody an authority position. See, the early church, when you read about it, Jesus, remember, he ascended, he floated up. Now, how many of you guys like to have been there to see that? You're sitting there talking to Jesus, and Jesus is saying, Now, listen, guys, wait in Jerusalem until Pentecost, because I'm going to send the Spirit, okay? And all of a sudden, Jesus starts floating. I can just see these guys just, you know, there he goes. They're starting to see the soles of his sandals as he's going up, you know, and... That would have been a sight. But whenever Jesus left and he told them, wait in Jerusalem to your club of power, the Spirit of God came upon them. But listen to what they did. Whenever it came time for the disciples to have to pick some people to have authority positions, they did not say, hey, everybody, let's all vote on it. Hey, guys, let's all see who's who everybody likes the most. Okay, let's have like a, a political... We'll let people run for office, okay? We'll let them make little posters and signs. They can go around shaking hands and kissing babies. And whoever you like the most, <coughs> we'll let you pick. No, they didn't do any of that. That's that's politics, and it's witchcraft in the church. I'm going to explain it later. But what they did was they chose seven men that they saw on them. They saw the hand of God on them. Read about it. They said these men are full of wisdom. They're full of the Holy Spirit. We see the Spirit of God upon them. We see God on them. And so they chose them and and raised them up. But they did it because they saw the hand of God on them. So in other words, they let the Holy Spirit pick them. It is so important that we get back to this biblical structure. And then third, the third definition is, it's using another spirit other than the Holy Spirit to control people. That's kind of self-explanatory. If somebody's using, and they may not realize they're doing it, but they're using another spirit to try to manipulate, intimidate, and control. They're using another spirit to control people. That's a form of witchcraft. And the, and the last definition, and it's similar to that one, is this. It is control, it's ungodly control that's obtained through various means of manipulation, intimidation, and domination. And it can be the use of the dark arts to control people, places, and situations. Did y'all catch all that? Is that making sense to you? It's people that are trying to use another spirit or trying to use the dark arts to control people. And as I go down through this, man, you're going to realize just how bad this really is in the body of Christ. It's really, it's an issue. And for God to really come in His fullness, we don't need the power current of the devil slipping in the back door and be maneuvering around in the church. Forget it. If things are in order the way they're supposed to be, and things are right, the power of God's going to be awesome, and the power of the enemy is going to be hindered. He's not going to be able to find a foothold. Okay? So let me give you a few scriptures and then I'm going to break it down, okay? Galatians 5.19 says, Now the deeds of the flesh. Everybody say the flesh. 
This is not talking about the dark arts right here. This is talking about the flesh. I want you to remember that. Because just like a snake has two fangs, did you know you can walk out in the jungle somewhere and a snake try to bite you? And did you know it's possible that just one fang will actually get you? So... It, the snake has two fangs, and the same thing with witchcraft. The, the witchcraft in the church, that spirit has two fangs. One side is the flesh, witchcraft of the flesh, and the other side is the dark arts. This is where people are using the supernatural, and they're doing it deliberately. But Galatians 5.19 says, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, immorality and impurity, sensuality. That's all sexual right there. Immorality impurity and sensuality that's sexual sins the next one and this is always seems to go together idolatry and witchcraft did you know idolatry and witchcraft is the flesh and now look at the result look at all this division right here ready enmity strife jealousy outburst of anger disputing dissensions factions all of that is division did y'all see that You've got the sexual sins, you've got the idolatry, witchcraft, then you've got all this division. And then you've got the compromising areas where people envy, drunkenness, carousing. He said things like this, which I forewarn you just as I did before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. People that are living in these things, they're unrepentant. They are not going to heaven when they die, period. All right, and then Galatians three one, Paul excuse me, Paul was dealing with this, where the church was allowing themselves to try to come back under the law of Moses. Anyway, and he rebuked them. But listen to this word. He said, "You foolish Galatian, who has bewitched you?" And you look up that Greek, and it is bewitched. It's witchcraft. It's like a spell. In other words, he was saying, "Who put some kind of a spell on you?" Did you know that was in the Bible? Somebody had come in and Paul, the Apostle Paul called it that. It's in the Bible. He said it's witchcraft. Somebody's put something on you that is messing with your mind. It's messing with the way you think, the way you perceive Jesus Christ. They're trying to seduce you away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're trying to bring you back under the law of Moses. Who has bewitched you? Who has put something on you that's trying to control your mind and mess with you? He said, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Now listen to a few more scriptures. Ezekiel 13, 17. He's, uh, God was speaking to the prophet Ezekiel. And God said, now you son of man, Ezekiel, set your face against the daughters of your people who are prophesying from their own inspiration. I love prophecy. There's times that God will give me a prophetic word. But unfortunately, there's some really wonderful prophetic things, but there's also a lot of stuff that's just out of people's own imagination. And it discredits the true prophetic, and it discredits Christianity, and it turns people off, to be honest with you. They go to services, and people begin to prophesy over them, and they leave out. None of it was true. None of it comes to pass. And it really is, is a hindrance. So you need to make sure, if you're going to say this is the Lord, that it really is the Lord speaking. Are y'all hearing me? And it's because you can really do some damage to people. Okay? All right. But he said they prophesy out of their own imagination. He said prophesy against them and say, thus says the Lord. Woe to the women who sew magic bands on all wrists 
and make veils for their heads of the persons of every stature to hunt down souls. Witches that hunt souls. He said, will you hunt down the souls of my people but preserve the lives of others for yourself? Anyway, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I just want you to notice that the Bible says that there are people that are like false prophets among God's people. These were the daughters of God's people at the time. There are people in churches that that will go around prophesying and things like that, but they prophesy out of their own imagination. It's not God. There's nothing about it that's God. And they're actually operating under witchcraft, and they're like it's like hunting souls. I wish I had time to explain that. But in the spirit realm, you can really mess with people spiritually through these things. And it's very dangerous. All right, Revelation 18.23. It says, The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. God was speaking through to John, the revelator, about Babylon. And he said that it's going to be destroyed. He said, a light of, The light of the lamp will never shine in you again. The voice of the bridegroom and the bride will never be heard in you again. Your merchants were the world's important people. By your magic spell, all the nations were led astray. So in the last days, the Bible says there's going to be like a spell over nations. I hope you hear this, guys. There's going to be a spell over nations. Nations. Whole nations. That will be led astray because something like a spirit of witchcraft comes on them and it leads them astray. But I'm going to tell you, in Christ, it's different for us because we're under the blood. And because our minds are renewed with the word. And because the spirit of God gives us the ability to not be deceived. That's why Jesus said that the the elect would be deceived if that were possible. But they won't be deceived. Because the Spirit of God will keep us. Are you hear what I'm saying? But there are some people that go to church. They don't pray. They just go to church. They may be deceived. We've got to stay close to Jesus in prayer. We've got to know the Word of God for ourselves. We need to be in revival. We need to be living holy. Amen? But there's going to be nations that are led astray. I promise you. And you, if you just open your eyes, you can see it. What about some of these Islamic nations that the whole nation seems to be under a spell? The whole nation. And there's other nations that that are similar. But yet at the same time, it's like great revival is being poured out. And and there's pockets where the Spirit of God is exploding and there's a great harvest of souls. But when you look at the the secular nation as a whole, it seems like there's something that has seduced the nation in a direction. Even in America, you see it. Uh, Revelation 13, 11, he said, Then I saw another beast. Now this is talking about the false prophet. How many of you guys have heard about the false prophet and the Antichrist? And the mark of the beast, the 666. Alright, I'm reading about that right here in Revelation 13, 11. This is, he said, I saw a beast coming out of the earth. This is the false prophet. The Antichrist is the beast that comes out of the sea because sea represents humanity. This is the beast that comes out of the earth. It is the false prophet. And he said about the false prophet, he has two horns like a lamb... But he spoke like the dragon. Who's the Lamb of God? Jesus. This false prophet, everybody will think he's of Jesus. They're going to think that he's a Christian. They're going to think he represents Christ. But in actual fact, he's the the mouthpiece of Satan himself. He speaks of the dragon. He's a counterfeit. And it says this, He performs great signs. So even making fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men, he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs that were given him to perform 
And he was doing this to assist the Antichrist rise to power. But nonetheless, I want you to see that. Even though he looked like he's of God, he was of the devil, but he had this power about him. If it's not God's power, then whose power is it? Satan's power. There's only two sources of supernatural power. Always remember this. There's not a third source. If you have supernatural power in your life that is beyond you, it's either going to come from God or the devil. There's no third source. So now let me break down this witchcraft in the church. Hopefully this will make sense. Because there's two categories. There's witchcraft of the flesh. Galatians 5.19 This is where people, they're in the flesh. They're, they're all about themselves. It's what I want. How many of those in Christianity, we've got to die to what we want? What we want is not important. Everybody thinks, here in America, everybody thinks their opinion is just so important. Listen, my opinion, your opinion, it really isn't that important. What's important is Jesus' opinion. All these things where, where people are saying, well, you know, I want this and I want that, and they're, they're trying to pressure and twist the arm of people in churches to get their way, that's witchcraft in the flesh. Because it should be this. What would happen if a whole group of people in church... They really truly got on their face before Jesus and they said, Jesus, it does not matter what I want. This whole thing is about you. Any selfish ambition, anything in me, forgive me, Lord. I just humble myself. Whatever you want me to do. If you want me just to be somebody that cleans the church for the rest of my life, that I want to please you, I don't, I'm not going to try to pressure to be in positions of influence and power and to get notoriety, to get pats on the back, to be noticed by people, to, to, to try to pressure my way. I want this, I want that. I'm going to try to make it happen and force it into... All of that is witchcraft of the flesh. And then you have the dark arts. This is where people, and I'm speaking of Christians here, this is where people start getting weird. And they start speaking and praying things, and they're of a different spirit, but they're praying you know, for some really bizarre things. I've heard of people praying the pastor die, the pastor's wife die, that the church be split, that these people leave, these people come. They're praying and invoking their will. Listen, when we pray, we've got to pray, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. And if you say, I don't know the will of God, then pray in the Spirit and ask the Holy Spirit to pray through you. Or pray the Scriptures. Because you know the Holy Spirit's going to pray the will of God and you know the Scriptures is the will of God. But don't start getting weird. Don't start praying your will. Alright. Did you know that the fear of man leads to rebellion and witchcraft like Saul? You remember King Saul? God spoke through Samuel. What God was doing in the earth in those days, He was doing through the prophet Samuel, who was a judge and a prophet. And Samuel came to King Saul and said that the Amalekites are wicked before God. Their sin has come up before Him. It's like the fullness of time. And Samuel told Saul, he said, You go in there. And you kill every one of them. Now this is not complicated. God said, Saul, you go in there and I want you to kill every single person. Man, woman, child, everybody is to be dead. Kill all their livestock. I want everything dead. Saul goes in there. Samuel's late in his coming. Because Samuel was going to come. He was going to pray for them and bless them before they go to battle. But Samuel was running late. 
And so Saul was afraid of the people because they started grumbling. And so Saul had no business doing this, but he grabbed the animal and he offered the sacrifice himself, which was forbidden. And then he said, let's go to war. He goes to war and he doesn't kill everything. He takes the best of the cattle, the best of the sheep, and he brings it out for himself. And he doesn't even kill the king of the Amalekites. He leaves him alive. But the whole time he's justifying his rebellion. Well, you know, we could use these animals to sacrifice to God. You know, and and he's trying to justify all this. But Samuel comes and Samuel says, did you fulfill what God told you to do? And King Saul said, yes, I did. And Samuel said this, then what is this, the lowing of the cattle that I hear over here? What is the bleeding of the sheep that I hear? And why is this king standing here alive? You did not do what God told you to do. And this is what Samuel said to him. He said, you have rebelled against the Lord. He said, your rebellion is as witchcraft. And he said, because you have done this, God himself is going to rip the kingdom from you. You're not going to be the king anymore. And God's going to raise up David in your place who has a heart after God. Saul lost everything because of rebellion. And to Saul, in his mind, it was a small thing. I killed most of the animals. I killed most of the people. You see what I'm saying? And that's how a lot of times people that are rebellious, they have a rebellious spirit about them. Let me tell you, rebellion in God's eyes is as witchcraft. In the Old Testament, when somebody was rebellious, they stoned them. And those that are not biblically versed, stoned is not getting high. Okay? Back then, that was picking up rocks, hitting them with rocks until they were dead. Okay, Stoning them. Hey, listen, man, we want people to come in and get saved. you got to explain stuff, all right? You start telling them, hey, man, they all went out and got stoned. They, they don't know what you're talking about. I'm just trying to help some people. They know. All right? But God said it's as witchcraft in his eyes. It was serious with God, okay? And Saul, if he, if he would just have gotten over himself. But listen, the fear of man leads to rebellion. And here's what I'm trying to say to you before I break down witchcraft in the church. Listen, we've got to get to a place where there is no ulterior motives in us. That's where Satan, this witchcraft in the church, gets people. Do you have idols and evil motives within yourself about being famous, being noticed, being recognized, being publicly honored before people? Do you have something within you toward money? I've told younger ministers, and I hope you all hear me real good, I've told them don't ever base any decisions on money. And what I mean by that is this. You don't have two opportunities to go preach, and you know that this one over here would be a big offering, and so you go to that one because it's going to be a big offering. You're opening yourself up for witchcraft in the church. You're opening yourself up to something that's not of God because the motives of your heart is toward money and that is wicked and evil in the eyes of God. You don't ever do that. Can you even imagine for a moment that Jesus would have ever done that? No. We make decisions because the Holy Spirit says go. That's why we go. And we go out of obedience. 
do we have any issues? See, I want you to hear me real good about this. Lucifer, at one time, was a cherub. He was an angel in heaven. And probably, based on what everybody talks about, he probably was like a worship leader. He was a very high-ranking, powerful angel in heaven. But listen to what he said. It said that he was lifted up with pride and iniquity was in him. Iniquity was found in him. And listen to what he said. He said, I will be like God and I will ascend my throne to his throne. I'm going to be God. I'm going to be likened to God and I'm going to take his place. Number one, he wanted to be God. Number two, he said, I'm going to raise my throne above the stars. The stars are the other angels. What Lucifer was saying was, I want to be publicly honored and exalted above all my peers. Did you catch that? And how many people out there deal with something within them that they want to vie for positions and power? They're willing to step on this person. They're willing to shove this person out of the way. They're willing to lie about this person if they have to. Whatever they got to do to get noticed and put up above everybody else. That's witchcraft in the church. We've got to come to a place where there's no ulterior motives whatsoever. I'm not trying to worm my way into power. I'm not trying to worm my way into influence. I just love Jesus and I'm just going to be obedient to Him. What has Jesus really called all of us to do? Number one is to, is to be close to Him. To have a relationship with Him. And number two is to do what He asks you to do. Did y'all hear that? So really what it boils down to is to have a love relationship with the Lord, to be intimate and close to Him, to have a prayer life, number one. Let me say that again. To have a love relationship with Him, to get to know Him, to spend time with Him. In other words, to be a prayer warrior, that's number one. And number two is to be about His business, to, to be a witness and to do what He wants you to do. It's not trying to tear others down. Now let me give you some examples of what I'm talking about. A counterfeit authority. I'm just going to kind of tell this story. To give you an example of witchcraft in the church. There was a particular church that I know of. This was a long time ago. You're not going to have any idea who these people are. This was a long time ago, but I happened to be a part of it. I was, I was young. But what happened was the pastor, this was during the 90s. And the pastor there, the church was growing and it was doing okay. But the pastor really wasn't all that interested in revival. Um, there was great revivals going on in Toronto, Brownsville, and other places, but he he seemed to not care. I've talked to him about it back then, but he didn't. He wasn't really interested. His attitude was, if God's going to move, he'll just move. That's usually a sign of pride that you won't humble yourself and go and receive. Okay, but nonetheless, this pastor was going on. The church was growing, but the people that he was allowing in positions of authority were not people that I would allow in positions of authority. And what happened was this. When he left the church, he put some people in authority. Now this husband and wife, they would have had, honestly, this is a very educated statement about these issues. They would have had kind of a typical Jezebel Ahab weird relationship. So really he had this look about him that he was the authority, but really she was running everything. Now, that was who was left in charge. Revival was breaking out in America and around the world. And there was some different people that were coming in to try out for the church. I was really praying for God's will to be done. I was praying for revival and for God to move, souls to be saved, all that. 
There was different people that were coming in trial for the church. There was this one guy that God's hand was really upon, and he was really touched by revival. And I, to this day, I believe with everything in me that he could have took the church to the next level. Okay, I really felt in my spirit that God's hand was upon him. It was very anointed. God, God showed up. When he preached, the power of God fell. There was a blowout service. Okay, But this particular woman whose husband was the authority or whatever, she was really the authority behind the scenes. Okay, Witchcraft in the church. She did not want him there. Now listen to this. It was the man that was preaching, his wife would travel with him, but they also had some interns that would come with him. One of the interns that the husband and wife brought with them was like a young lady. And so this lady did not want this man and his wife and his interns and all them there. She had a personal thing where she just did not want them there. And so what she did was... She connived within herself. I've got to come up with some way to discredit this guy because the power of God came down. I mean, God validated this man. You understand what I'm saying? God came. And so what she did was she she decided she would start making phone calls. And she started calling everybody she could and she was insinuating to them that this guy was having an affair on his wife with this intern. There was not one reason to think that. There was not one reason. But she wanted to discredit him and turn the people against him. Well, after this phone call campaign took place, there was another particular man that came in to preach. You didn't know anything about it, but that's the person she wanted. So she had friends who also had husbands on the board. And so the wives were now pressuring the husbands on the board to vote in the one they wanted. When he came to preach... No anointing happened, nothing significant. It, it, to me, in my opinion, to this day, I do not believe this man was the one that God picked. But anyway, she had worked her way now to where she had swayed the whole church that this other guy was a you know, perverted individual. And this is the man that God has chosen. It's really the man she chose. And now she had gotten her little group together. And they're pressuring their husbands because the husbands kind of have the final say to vote and all that. And there was only a couple people that weren't duped by all this. Nonetheless, at the end of the day, she managed to get her way. But see, that pastor should have never put those people in authority. That was the problem. You don't put people like that in authority because this is what happens. But anyway, they voted in the, the guy that I felt was not the right guy. Now, here's what happened. The people that were discerning and knew God knew something was wrong in the church and their spirit, and they began to leave. That church was running a couple hundred strong, and the presence of God was, was beginning to move some, but it dwindled down to almost nobody there. Everybody left, except the handful of people that... Listen, that is a classic example of witchcraft in the church. It is somebody that has ulterior motives that is manipulating to get some, something to happen in the church they want to happen. What would have happened if everybody would have just got on their face and said, Lord, it doesn't matter who you send. I don't care who it is. We just want who you want. We're going to get down and humble ourselves. We're going to pray. We're going to fast. We're asking you, Lord, just have your way in this church. They would have voted in the right guy. And the church would have went to the next level. But because there was witchcraft in the church, it neutralized that church. 
There's got to be a death to self. There's got to be humility. All right, let me just run through some things real quick. Illegitimate authority. Did you know that John the Baptist was really the, the descendant, the direct descendant of Aaron the priest? And really, truthfully, by his lineage, he should have been the high priest in Israel when Jesus was there. That's in the book of Luke. His mother and father were direct descendants of Aaron. He should have been, John the Baptist should have been the high priest. Why was Caiaphas the high priest? Because it was a political maneuver to have peace with Rome. Are y'all following me? This is witchcraft. This type of thing happens all the time in, in Christianity as we know it, where people are raised up in positions of authority that God never authorized. They're there because they know how to shake hands and they know how to meet the right people and rub the right elbows and they know how to politically maneuver themselves to get into a position of authority. They're there because maybe they're, they're handsome or they have charisma and so people put them there and vote them there. But they're not there because God raised them up. That's witchcraft in the church. There can be a counterfeit authority. Politics that are rampant in different types of denominations. There's no voting in the Bible, as I said earlier. And that can, that can right there can become witchcraft in the church because people begin to try to maneuver how they want things to turn out instead of how God wants it to turn out. There's no place in the Bible for people to, because they have money to be able to manipulate and intimidate and control the directions of churches because they say, well, I'll pull my funds. There's no place for that. You know how many times people, pastors and different people have been afraid, well, if so-and-so pulls their funds, what are we going to do? Man, you've got to trust God's what you've got to do. You can't make idols. That's an idol. That man's money has become an idol, that person, that they're trusting in that instead of God. God's our source. You don't ever look at that. But how many times has that happened in churches where somebody, they were afraid, so-and-so will get offended and leave and pull all the finances. They'll, or they're related to half the people in the church, they'll get everybody to leave. You know how many times I've heard that? I've had preachers tell me that. I've got to be careful because if I get so-and-so mad, half the church will leave. Well, man, listen, you preach what God gives you. If so-and-so gets mad, let them get mad. If half the church leaves, at least you're obedient to God. If you drop dead tomorrow, you're going to stand for Jesus unashamed. I preached the gospel. I did what was right in your eyes, Lord. I'm living for you. Well, so what if these people get mad? You can't have idols. That's the thing. If you're calling to ministry, you cannot have idols and things in your heart about numbers and money and other stuff. You've got to be completely dead or this witchcraft in the church will try to influence you. There can be a counterfeit anointing. Did you know Simon the Sorcerer talked about you know, how he could do all this magic and all this? Did you know that there's people that have almost no anointing but they are very good at getting up and preaching in a way. They know how to scream just right. They know how to make a point just right. They'll take off running or whatever. They'll spit their holler. They get everybody whipped up in a frenzy. And people leave out going, man, that was such an awesome service. There was no anointing. It was all charisma. I hope you caught that. Because that's very common. That's actually witchcraft in the church because they're depending on something other than the Holy Spirit to get the job done. That's what I'm trying to tell you. You can't use another spirit 
to control people. You can't use another spirit to try to control people. You have to trust the Holy Spirit to come and change lives and let Him do it. How many times people have used their, their charis, charismatic personalities or their great oratory skills or their, their great music skills? And all these things are fine, but they're trusting in something other than the Holy Spirit. I have nothing against at all, nothing against people that use different creative means to spread the gospel, whether it's athletics or music, different bands, different things. I have no problem with that. I think a lot of it's wonderful. But if they're trusting in that instead of the Holy Spirit, then they, in their own life, there's something corrupt. You can't trust in your great music ability to get the job done. Music doesn't change people truly. Jesus changes people. And how many times do you see, even in churches, people are so caught up with the actual music itself. I love worship. But you can get caught up in the actual, the energy, so to speak, of the worship. And it's like a concert. You guys have been to concerts. Okay, you know as well as I do, there's an energy there. Everybody's all excited and pumped up and they're screaming and they're yelling. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with them. I'm just saying that there's an energy about the concert. But how many people in churches have thought that was the move of the Spirit and it wasn't? It wasn't the anointing. All it is is just the energy of a song that everybody likes and everybody's into. You've got to differentiate between that and the anointing. And if you're trusting in that then that can open the door for witchcraft in the church. You've got to trust in the Holy Spirit. Is this helping anybody? The bullying and the intimidation that's there. People may be absolutely terrified of a leader, but let me, let me say this though. There's some people that are very intimidated by a, a leader, an authority figure, because they're a little rebel. And that's the reason they're intimidated. It's because they're a little rebel and they got a, a rebellious spirit about them and they know that authority figure won't put up with it. Amen? So let's, let's, if we're going to tell it, let's just go ahead and tell it like it is. Okay? Some people are afraid of leaders because there's something in them that is very wrong and that's why they're afraid. But then there's others, there's the flip side of the coin. There are other times that different leaders try to intimidate people and make them terrified. And they'll control them through intimidation. And that is witchcraft in the church. Listen, if you, if you don't have an anointing and you don't have true spiritual authority, a lot of times leaders will resort to that. They want everybody afraid of them, so they'll do what they say. But if you really have true spiritual authority and you really have a real anointing, the Holy Spirit will take care of that. You don't have to turn to a spirit of intimidation to get the job done. You can just trust the Holy Spirit to take care of it. Did everybody see that? This is deep stuff tonight. Is this okay? We'll get a little deep. But we don't need to, to turn over to a spirit of intimidation to try to control people and get everybody afraid of us if you just walk in true authority that God's given you and walk in a true anointing. God will take care of that. Jesus confronted this stuff head on. When he dealt with the Pharisees, who were always trying to intimidate and control him. His own family came and tried to pull him out of the ministry. But Jesus just stayed focused. People will try to sway leaders. And see, Jesus dealt with this witchcraft in the church is what I'm trying to get at. People tried to control him. People tried to intimidate him. They tried to silence him. All of this. But he just stayed focused and he kept doing what God the Father wanted him to do. He was faithful. People will try to sway leaders and use their authority to their advantage. Leaders need discernment. 
Hear this. If there's anything I've said tonight, remember a couple of these points I'm going to make. If you can be manipulated by flattery, you're opening yourself up to a spirit of witchcraft. I've gotten to a place, and this is the truth, people may compliment and it doesn't really mean much. I mean, I appreciate the encouragement, but it doesn't mean much. Because it doesn't. at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Some of the very people that will compliment you will stab you in the back just a very short time later. You can't live by that. Because that, a lot of times, flattery and gifts and things like that, there's an ulterior motive behind it, and they're actually manipulating you with that. If you can be manipulated by flattery, you can also be intimidated by criticism. Did you get, did you get that? If you can be manipulated by people's flattery, you can probably be intimidated by their criticism. You cannot let people's criticism... You realize how much criticism I've had to deal with in the ministry? And how much of it was just so, so stupid? I'm going to tell you, man, if you want to be in the ministry, you've got to get used to the fact that there's a lot of criticism. You cannot let it sway you. Just keep going after God. Okay? Don't let yourself be manipulated or intimidated by anybody. Now listen, kids are born with the tendency to play their parents against each other. All you know that you've done that. You know you try to get you know if you go to dad he'll do it about this thing. You know if, if you go to mom she'll do it about this over here and so you, you try to manipulate to get what you want. All kids are born with a tendency toward these things to be their own little God and know how to play people to get what they want. But good parents will get that out of them and discipline it out of them while they're young. Okay? But people that didn't have good parents, they bring it into the church and they'll be 50 years old, a 50-year-old crybaby that wants their way. You'd be shocked how many preachers will tell you, yeah, I've got, I've got a 53-year-old crybaby woman that is always complaining and wants stuff her way. And just, it happens all the time. We've got to get that out of us. If you have a tendency to want everything your way. See, people want the old Burger King slogan. I want it my way and I want it now. That's going to open you up to something that's not from God. We should be saying, Lord, we want it your way when you want to do it. We're just going with you. Leadership cannot be oppressive, but it does have to be firm and strong. You've got to delicately balance where you're not oppressive to people, but you also are not going to put up with any funny business in the church at all. You're firm and you're strong, but you're loving and you're not oppressive at the same time. All right, let me start closing this. Witchcraft comes through evil prayers, gossip, slander, criticism, and control. This is when people get in the flesh. The book of James says that your tongue can be lit on fire by the fires of hell. I believe it's James chapter 4 where it's talking about the tongue, or maybe chapter 3. But it's talking about the tongue. It's a world of evil. And the tongue is like the, the small member of your body, but it's just like a boat that has that little rudder. It can turn your whole life. Let me tell you, the tongue is powerful. And it says in there that somebody's tongue can be lit by the fires of hell itself. Meaning like an evil anointing on their tongue, so to speak. And now, they're praying evil prayers. Now, they're gossiping. You're talking about witchcraft in the church. You know what gossip is? Gossip is telling stuff you should not be telling. 
It's a talebearer. It's somebody that's going around. Did you hear about this about so-and-so? Did you hear about this? Listen, God hates that. I'm going to tell you, that's not an understatement. God really does hate, H-A-T-E. He hates that. Okay? That's a very evil. Nobody likes that. How would you want somebody going around slipping through the church like a snake, going around whispering in everybody's ear, did you hear about what so-and-so did? And a lot of times gossip isn't even true. You find out at the end the whole thing was, was some misunderstanding. It wasn't even true. But you got half the people believing stuff. Gossip is evil. Do not, if you know something about somebody, keep it to yourself. Pray for them. Don't go around telling people. Slander is this. Slander is where you get an offense against somebody and you start pulling people off to the side and say, I can't believe they did this to me. And you, then you just start running them through the coal right there. You just start, man, this, just saying all this stuff about them. That's slander. Criticism. This is rampant when you're dealing with witchcraft in the church. People sit back, something's messing with their head, and now they're critical. You know, there was a story about a husband and wife driving down the road, and there was these white flowers on the side of the road, and the wife saying, oh, how beautiful they were, and how pretty and white they were. And the husband was saying, they're not white. They're like this tinted color. And they were back and forth, back and forth, and finally the wife bust out laughing and said, honey, take off your sunglasses. The whole time to him, they really were that tinted color. He really was seeing it that way, but he was wrong. Somebody that's critical, they can't see it, but there's something on them. I don't say that lightly. There's something on them, on their eyes, that's from the evil one that they can't, it's like they can't help but see the critical. And they're judgmental. And they wonder why stuff keeps coming back on them. But the Bible's clear. If you're going to judge people like that and you're going to be critical, Jesus said out of his own mouth, the measure that you judge others, it's going to come back on you. It's like you go outside and walk off this building, you're not going to go sideways. You're not going to float up. What does the law of gravity say? You're going to go straight down and hit the ground. The law of God's kingdom is this. The measure that you judge others, it will come back on you. It's a law and a principle. It will boomerang and hit you back right in the face. So let me just give you some good advice. Stop all the criticism. Okay, Give some people some grace and quit being so critical of everybody. And then, of course, ungodly control. Don't try to control people. And here's how it takes root. Witchcraft takes root in people because they have idols in their heart. They have ulterior motives. Are y'all hearing me? They have iniquity drives in them toward money, toward being famous or whatever. They have stuff in them like Lucifer did where they want to be their own God. They want to set themselves up against their peers. They have a pride issue. They have an iniquity drive. And so therefore witchcraft in the church takes root in them. Immorality, which is sexual sins, can give place to it. Politics in church will open the door for it. Listen, there's no room in God's kingdom for politics. Did y'all hear me? There's no room for religion. This is Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship with God. It's the kingdom of God. Religion is all about rituals. If I do this, if I say this so many times, if I do this so many times, if I bow to the east three times and walk in a circle five times, then I'll be right with God. All that's a bunch of religion. It's a bunch of garbage. We have a relationship. Witchcraft in the church comes in through pet doctrines. These are people, they just know that they're right. They, in their heart, they just know that they're right about this little pet doctrine, but in actual fact, they're wrong. But they, they're, they're willing to die for that pet doctrine. 
Ultimately, witchcraft in the church breeds division and disorder. Where now people are divided, they can't get along, they're fighting church splits, and also things are now out of order. What should who should be in authority and people submitting that authority, but it's it's now out of order. Let me say that again. This is the result of witchcraft in the church. When it is allowed to come in, it produces division. It tears up relationships, pits people against each other, so now they're fighting. So now you've got splits and division. And then secondly, you've got disorder. Things should be in this order. There's authority figures, people coming under authority, but now things are out of order. You've got people in authority that shouldn't be, and people that should be that aren't. Things are out of order. So division and disorder is what comes when witchcraft in the church comes in. And that's exactly how Satan wants it. He wants everybody fighting with each other and he wants everything out of order because then then that church is going to be lukewarm and it's going to be ineffective and not able to do anything for the kingdom of God. They can't even pray and get their prayers heard because there's so much fighting and bickering in the church. It's produced a brass heaven. And witchcraft in the church will produce these church splits and they'll produce this disorder. And listen, when that happens, it's like a gate of hell opens and stuff begins to pour into that church. I hope you guys can picture that with me for a moment. The last thing we want in churches is for there to be some kind of a portal, like a gate of hell that swings open. And now all this stuff, all these spirits and things are pouring into a church because there's so much fighting and bickering, division and disorder. And now all of a sudden, um, rebellions, evil people coming into power. There's infiltration, there's bitterness, there's unrepentant sin in the camp. And now things are totally out of order. And all this poison has come into the church. And now that power current has found its way in. The church is full of poison. It's like gangrene. If you don't deal with it, it'll spread through the whole system. It's like now a little bit of poison now has become a lot of poison. It's worked its way through the whole church. Now you've got people full of bitterness, people full of rebellion, people are fighting, people have infiltrated in that have no business being in that church. All kinds of problems. Unrepentant sin. It's as though hell opened up and vomited into a church. And it found its way in through witchcraft in the church. Then you've got people that set themselves up like they're some kind of God's little sheriff. They think they've got their little white horse, their little badge. You know, they're going around from town to town saying what's of God and what isn't of God. And they call themselves watchdogs or whatever. They're totally anti-Christ, totally anti-anointing, totally anti-revival. They're arrogant. They don't have an authority from the Lord. But they've set themselves up in authority and everything that they do is to criticize and tear down the move of God. Have you guys seen those people? They write books, they get on Christian TV, they're all over the web, and everything they do is to tear down and criticize the move of God and they're enemies of the Holy Spirit and that is major witchcraft in the church. They hate apostles, they hate prophets, and they hate revival. So here's what we've got to do. Tonight I'm going to lead you guys in a prayer and we're going to make sure there's not any area of our lives where there's these iniquity drives and stuff in us. We've got to come to a place where we're totally dead to self. We're crucified with Christ. It's not us who live any longer, but Christ living through us. Shouldn't it be enough that we're born again? Shouldn't it be enough that we're winning souls and we're seeking God and we're doing what pleases Him? Shouldn't that be enough? Why then do we have to be after all these other things? 
Why do I have to have my name in lights? Why do I have to be recognized? Why do I have to have um, be pats on the back? Why do I have to have power? Why do I have to pressure myself into positions of influence now? What is it about people? that always is wanting to strive for things like that. It's the sin that resides in people that they haven't dealt with. And I believe this. The Bible says God's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins if we confess it. But then it says, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hear me tonight. He said, I'll forgive your sin. That's pardoned. But I will go a step further and I will cleanse you from unrighteousness. Now listen to me. You can have your sins pardoned, but still have something evil. That's residue there. Did y'all know that? You can have your sins forgiven, but there's still like this iniquity, and there's still like this stuff there that's corrupt, and it's off, and it's in the heart. And you know what the Lord says? He says, I was bruised for your iniquity, and He says, I will even go so far as to cleanse that unrighteousness out of your heart. There's a difference between being pardoned and deeply purged. And I'm looking for a deep purging in all of us. Your sins are forgiven. You're on your way to heaven, no doubt. But I don't want to just die in that condition and go to heaven. In that, I want the Lord to deeply purge out anything, any residue, any stuff that's been lingering, any corrupt motives, anything in me that's trying to hinder and hold me back. I don't want it. I remember during, during the revival at, at Brownsville, I remember Lyndall Cooley used to say, he would sit there just basically with tears all, all flowing from his eyes, and he'd sit there and say, Lord, if there's anything in me, just cut it out. You know, he had such a heart about that. Here he was, the worship leader, but he was so humble. He would, he would be down there, Lord, if there's anything, just show me, just cut it out of me, change me. I, wanna, I want you to be pleased with me. I want my heart to be pure. Once you deal with ulterior motives and you get pure, and that stuff is out of you, that witchcraft in the church doesn't have a place. You remember Jesus said this, he said, the prince of this world is coming, but he doesn't have anything in me. Did y'all catch that? The prince of this world is coming, but he doesn't have anything in me. In other words, Satan didn't have anything to hook into Jesus and manipulate him. But once that happens and you get deeply purged, then we can bind the strong man. And that's what needs to happen. Once that is cleansed out of you and dealt with, then you can bind the strong man. You've got to bind the strong man to plunder his goods. So the strong men that sit over witchcraft in the church are things like Jezebel and Ahab, things like Leviathan, things like religious spirits. When I'm dealing with witchcraft in the church, I'm not just dealing with Jezebel and Ahab. Religion, religious spirits, religious people will try to control the move of God. Not remember this, not everybody that comes to church are Christians. And not every Christian is pure in their heart. Just because somebody's a Christian does not mean that they're really sincere and pure. They may have all kinds of ulterior motives. So a church under an attack of witchcraft is this right here. If a church allows itself for that to come in, and sometimes it's not their fault. Some rebel you know, raised up like a, like a Lucifer in heaven. That's, remember he took a third of the angels out of heaven. Like a Lucifer, he raised up in a church. 
he split the church and took a group and he, and he, he turned people and there was all this gossip, there was all this slander and that person's like a Lucifer, like a Judas and they, they sowed division in the kingdom and it wasn't the church's fault. Now you've got the people left that are sincere. But yet, something came in that gate of hell that flung open. And if you don't deal with it, here's what it can look like. There can literally be like a heaviness that, that flops down over a church like a wet blanket trying to smother the fires of revival. It's like a heaviness, a spirit of heaviness. And all of a sudden now, spirits of death and infirmity are at work. People are oppressed with sickness. Now there's divisive spirits in the church. And I'm talking about literal spirits, divisive spirits. Now it's easy to fight and it's hard to get along. It creates an atmosphere like that. And there can be financial difficulties, but the church is being oppressed. You've got to bind that strong man. You've got to shut those gates of hell. You've got to kick that vomit right back out and clean house and get that thing back in order. Get you know get the divisive stuff out. The divisions out. Things are put back in order. And now the glory will come back again. But here's the last thing I want to say. There was a couple things I really wanted you to get tonight. About illegitimate authority. About how witchcraft brings division and disorder. I told you if you can be manipulated with flattery, you can be controlled by intimidation. Okay? Here's another one I want you to remember. Remember this. You may write this down somewhere. Remember this last thing. Whenever witchcraft in the church comes, it will always try to make the bad guy look like a victim. And make the victim look like a bad guy. Did y'all get that? You know how many times I've seen that in churches where the person who's the actual rebel, they are actually the problem. And they'll sit there and cry and boo-hoo. Nobody understands me. Poor me. You know, I'm so misunderstood. And they'll get people to feel sorry for them. And kind of join their side. And now they're all, they got now several people, they're all offended at a leader who's actually a man or a woman of God, who's actually doing what God said do. But you've got this rebel over here that's got a spirit of witchcraft on him. And they're sitting there crying and poor me. And they're a rebel. The, the reason they're crying is because they won't submit to authority. They're being corrected. They're the rebel. But they know how to get people manipulated and feel sorry for them. They'll sit there and boohoo and cry. Remember that. Anytime you see it, step back and look at the big picture. Because I promise you, that person that's trying to look like a little victim is no victim. And the person that they're trying to make to look like such a bad, horrible person, they're probably not. If you'll look into it for yourself, you'll find that all of that is bogus. There's no truth to it whatsoever. And they're trying to manipulate you and play you. And get you sucked into their little camp of deception. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to lead us in a prayer tonight. I want to do this tonight. This came to me. I want to do a renunciation prayer with you guys. Some of you maybe have never done this. I'm going to lead you in a renunciation prayer. But I want you to think about something tonight. I'm going to give you a chance to pray for a few minutes. Is there any idols in your life or ulterior motives? Do you have a tendency, an idol in your heart that has to do maybe with money? That you make decisions based on money? Too much, I mean, where it's an idol? Do you have issues within you, idols, about relationships? Maybe 
having friends or, or people pleasing, people liking you, being popular, getting along with people, having people in your life, maybe that's too important. It's, it's like an idol in your life. Just ask the Lord, Lord, show me, is there any idols or ulterior motives? Do I have such a drive in me to be set up above other people and to be noticed and recognized and patted on the back and get you know, all this praise from men? And tonight, let's get it all under the blood. Let everything we do is just to bring the Lord glory. Everything we do is just to bring the Lord glory. That's it. There's no ulterior motives. It's just about serving Him. It's about winning souls. It's about, you know, making God's house a house of prayer. It's about loving people. It's, it's pure motives. So I want everybody out loud to pray this, okay? I want everybody out loud to say this. Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. You died for my sins. Forgive me for my sin. I give my life to you. You are my Savior. Let me be born again. Let me know you. Wash away all my sin in your blood. Because you forgive me, I choose to forgive anyone who has wronged me in any way. I renounce and confess his sin. Any rebellion, any idols, any iniquity, any evil motives that's been in my life or my ancestry. Wash me in your blood. Forgive me for pride, rebellion, resentment, revenge, envy, jealousy, strife, lust, sexual sins, witchcraft, idolatry, divination, sorcery, occult practices, satanic objects, criminal activity, ungodly fear, doubt, unbelief, alcohol abuse, drugs, tobacco, pornography, all addictions. Any marking my body, cutting or burning, I repent. I repent of suicide, shedding blood, hatred, abortions, ungodly anger, rage, murder. I renounce any dedications to false gods, unholy vows, ungodly oaths, ceremonies, or pacts with the devil. I renounce these things. Sever every tie that's not of you, Lord. Take out of me what needs to go. Put in me what needs to come. I break the power of the devil off my life. Every work of Satan, I break it now. I break it off my life. 
I bind the enemy that's been at work in my life in Jesus' name. And I command you, go from me and my family forever right now in the name of Jesus. I break your power. Anything generational that's not of God, I break it off and it goes now in the name of Jesus. I thank you for freedom. By your stripes I'm healed, Jesus. And by your blood I'm free from the enemy's influence. So let me just pray of you, Father, in the name of Jesus. Brother Zach, can you play that number five? Just have some music going. I just pray right now, Lord, everybody agrees with me. Father, we command in Jesus' name healing in every life right now. And anything that is not of your kingdom. Anything that's been oppressing or coming against your people in any way. This witchcraft in the church business, these attacks. Father, we break it off people right now. Things that have been generational and been coming against people. I feel that there's there's some things generational that are going to leave people tonight. I feel that. Father, I break it off. I command it to go right now. I command that strong man to be bound and go. I break that stuff off them. I just feel something leaving tonight in people's lives. I thank you for freedom right now. We put it under the blood of Jesus. And Lord, we just pray. As people are going to get touched tonight, probably as every service goes, probably people are going to fall out under the power. But I'm asking tonight as people are, are down under the power or wherever they're praying, Lord, we ask you in Jesus' name that you'll show us, is there any ulterior motives? Is there any evil motives in us? Is there any pride? Is there any selfish ambition? Is there issues with money and idols? Forgive us, Lord, but I ask you to show us so that we can truly repent from our hearts. And I'm asking you, Lord, that the river will come and will break through into the deepest places tonight. That we're not just forgiven and pardoned for our sin, but literally, y'all are agreeing with me, that we will be cleansed from unrighteousness. We'll be deeply purged out what needs to go. Let it come, Lord. We agree as a church. We come together in agreement. And we ask you to let your river flow now of the Spirit of God that will flush out the deep things within us that need to go. We thank you for it now, right now in Jesus' name. Lord, we're going to pray for people. We thank you, Lord, for coming in awesome glory and power and strong anointing. I'm going to tell you, we need as much of the Holy Spirit as we can get. Get in on this. Get prayer every time you can get prayer. You never know. The day may come. The time may come where, where that's not as readily available for some reason. Get as much as you can. I remember back in the days of when Brownsville and these other revivals were going. That was the revival that really touched me the most because it was close to home. I couldn't just go to Toronto. But I used to go anytime Rodney Howard Brown was around, you know. And I would go to Brownsville as much as I could. But I got as much prayer as I could. And, you know, I valued those days. I can't go back. Brownsville's over. I can't go back. And I remember after Brownsville shut down around 2005 or so. I don't remember when it completely. I know Steve left in 2000, but whatever. I remember kind of grieving because there was a time there where I felt like I can't just go at you know, where am I going to go to get fresh anointing? I didn't know of anywhere around me that God was really me. Of course, I pressed into Him. He touched me. But there wasn't a place that I could go. And it made me sad. And that's why 
this church was started, just to be honest. Is I wanted a place where we could all just experience something. It's got to be corporate. we got to have a place people can come. And so we're going to pray tonight, my wife and I. And the power of God is going to touch you. Some of you, maybe maybe you've never experienced God's presence and power. Maybe you've never fallen before in the power. I don't know. But listen, God's going to touch you tonight. The Holy Spirit, He, he comes into your life and He'll help you fall in love with Jesus. And He'll help you become more like Jesus. He'll give you strength. So get as much prayer as you can tonight. But Zach, I'm going to shut down recordings. And we're going to pray for people. I want my wife to go ahead and get ready to help me. And here's what I want to do. If everybody could stand.